Well, hello. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good middle of the night, and all that kind of stuff. It's Thursday. It's the 14th of December. It's 2023. And this is Paul English Live. Welcome back to the show. It's uh, just gone 8 p.m. here in the UK, 3 p.m. in the US. We're here on WBN 324. We're here every Thursday at that time, 8 p.m. to 10 in the UK, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. in the US Eastern Time. And on tonight's show, we're going to be casting our attention in a gaze that uh, has been in the back of my mind ever since I started this three or four months ago. We're going to take a look at Germany, past, present and future. Very shortly, I'll be introducing my guest for tonight, the delightful and wonderful Monica Schaefer. And I was thinking, because we touched on Napoleon last week, well, we did more than touch upon it. And I want to return to that as well, actually. It's been playing on my mind, but I thought it would be time to jump forward a bit in time and get up to speed with the last century and a bit more. So there we go. Let's fade out as we usually do. Hi, welcome back to the show. This is uh, Paul English Live, uh, episode number 1515. So that's nearly ooh, nearly four months. And, uh, of course, next week's show will be the last one of... Will it be? Uh, will it be the last one? No, it won't. We've got two more shows to go this year. So you see my brain's working. But it will be the Christmas show the week after that. That's the 28th of December. So it's the last one before the Christmas period is what I meant to say. Uh, if you've caught sight of the... Uh, the ad that we uh, put out today, or even the image uh, for everything that's uh, that's going on, we feature a book there called "The Myth of German Villainy" by uh, Benton Bradbury, and we'll be talking a little bit about that book. This is not a book review show specifically tonight, but the title of that book is extremely apt, uh, given what's been taking place not just today, but. Uh, really over the past century, uh, certainly obviously since the episode known as World War II, which was really, as many of you I suppose have come to understand it, an extension of World War I, which was an extension of other things, and which trails all the way back, at least in my mind it does, really to, uh, in terms of the modern era, to the trouble that Henry VIII had uh, 
How about that for jumping up and down the timeline? Uh, with the English Civil War following that, with the French Revolution, which I keep touching upon regularly, with Napoleon, of course, because he's in the news a lot these days, he's back, uh, with the US Civil War, so-called, with the Russian Revolution, and so on and so forth. So... Um, uh, I was going to do a little bit of a sort of news roundup. Actually, there's only one item I just want to mention before we get stuck into all of that. Um, one of the things I've said here before is that um, I try to not follow the news cycle immediately because in nearly all cases, it turns out to be, uh, well, 99% of the time, a farrago of lies, I think is the phrase. And uh, I'm going to use that one for now, for tonight. Um, you may remember a couple of weeks back, I can't even remember when it was, because we have these events, don't we? These dramatic news events that pile into the brain. Everybody's up in arms about them, and we all run around and don't know quite what's going on. And then two or three weeks later, it turns out that it's something else completely. You may recall that there was an event in Ireland recently with a stabbing, apparently, that took place by a migrant, apparently, against a teacher and three children, or two children. Now, I've not even gazed into it that much, but I've been listening to a few other shows. As you let, let the dust settle on these events, you begin to see that there's a lot of bits missing. And uh, it turns out that there's a lot of evidence to suggest, good grief, what a surprise, that this may well fall into the category of a false flag. Why? Because the end result of this was the introduction of draconian laws to effectively make illegitimate what is classed as the extreme far right, uh, a thing which I'm not even familiar with, to be quite honest. I don't think there is a, any right wing of any politics at all in the world at this moment in time. There's certainly a lot of play acting about it. So I'm not going to go into that in detail, except if you're following it and tracking it, any information that you have, if you want to send it through to my Telegram group, you'll find a link there at paulenglishlive.com. That would be jolly, jolly good, because I think that that one has got the smell of of badness about it again don't they all don't they all have this kind of smell about them and um it was a very dramatic event of course and it sucked in an awful lot of energy and it will still continue to do so um but we must take our time probably something that we don't have really we don't have the luxury of time i guess too much but uh, but we must take our time with these things to see how as i said the dust is going to settle now one event Actually, it's more than one. I was just going through them there, wasn't I, at the beginning? But one of the big events on which the dust will never settle, it seems, forever, um, certainly f throughout my lifetime, it's been non-stop. And it seems to get amplified the further we get away from these events, are uh, the great war... Uh, that the Great War that took place in the 20th century across Europe, known as the World War One and World War Two, with the arrival of the Americans and the Japanese and so on and so forth, is a vast topic to cover in terms of its detail. But in terms of the outcome of it, there seems to be only one story. Germany, very, very, very bad. And everybody else, very, very, very good. And this uh, drum is still being pounded away and, of course, catches a lot of people off guard and is understandably the view that they have. Well, we're going to put forward another view tonight. At least we're going to touch upon it in many ways. I'm going to introduce my guest. Uh, I want to welcome to the show someone I've done a couple of shows with in the past, Monica Schaefer. Good, I should say, what should I say? Good lunchtime to you, Monica. How are you today? Well, hello, Paul. Thank you so much for inviting me on to your show. I am doing very well, thank you. Good. <laughs> 
Good. Very well is good. So we spoke a little bit earlier today, and I think before we get into the sort of really serious stuff, we should deal with the super serious stuff, which is, how's the new fridge? <laughs> yeah, just when we were doing our sound test this morning, I had a couple of strong men bring in a new used fridge. And I'll tell you why it's a new used fridge, because we were searching for a fridge that wasn't smart we, I guess we wanted a dumb fridge, but no, I just did not fancy living with all that smart technology that sends out EMF radiation. Even if you turn it off, apparently it's sending it out. I'm not sure about that. But anyway, we found a fridge that is uh, used, but in good, good shape. So I'm happy about that. I'm very pleased. When I was a, when I was a young lad in England in the 60s, um, and the early 70s, my uncle had a Frigidaire fridge. This was an object of great amazement to me because I don't think we got a fridge, seriously, until I was about eight or nine years of age. That would be 1968, 69. <laughs> my, my sons sometimes say, but Dad, how did the food stay cold? I said, my mother would look after it by placing it in a thing called a pantry. Do you still have a pantry over there? Yes. Yes, yes, I do have a, a cool storage. We we always called it a cool storage in the basement, and, and I do have one in the house that I'm living in right now. So that's pretty handy. That's very good. But, you know, it should be built on the correct side of the house, the one in this house. It's a rental house that I'm in right now, and it's, right. it's not on the right side because in the summer it does get awfully warm in there. It should be on the the northeast corner, in the northeast corner of the house, but this one is not, so... In winter, it does just fine, though, as a nice pantry. I know. Yeah, no, it's good. They're amazing, a fridge. Yeah, we're very jealous that, you know, my my cousin had a fridge. And my mum was very jealous because it meant that the pink rabbit mould blancmanges that they did used to set properly, where I always remember my my mum taking these pink rabbit blancmange things up into the bath. <laughs> I'm serious upstairs I, I and running no cold water. Don't you know what I'm <laughs> talking about? That oh. is very funny. I have no clue. It must be. Oh, a that's British good. That makes thing. it even better. Yeah, so so blancmange is like this sort of weird version of custard. I don't know quite okay. what it is, and you you make it warm like custard, but it has to set. So it's the sort of thing that would go into a trifle. And the only way to make it set in the summer months was to take it upstairs and put it into a bath of cold water. Those were the days. <laughs> Hey, fantastic. <laughs> anyway, I mean, I, yeah, and in a way, we're tapping back into the way people would have lived during the early part of the 20th century because I know maybe in America they had fridges a lot earlier than everybody else, but uh, certainly not across most of Europe and certainly not in England. Everybody was, well, if they, were, if they didn't have a rabbit mould, they had some kind of mould for making blancmange, that kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, Oh, I'm pleased you've got a fridge. They're, they're very, very useful. And uh, also, there was a little advert today I saw on TV, as one does from time to time, about people talking to all their appliances in the kitchen, you know, to get them to do things through... Um, that... Oh, those must must be the hmm. smart ones, you know, but I, I'm glad I don't have one of those smart ones. <laughs> no. No, I think smart devices, dumb people, and all the people in the, in the adverts just look goofy and mad talking to these things. And I'm, I'm definitely becoming a neo-Luddite, you know, champion Yes. old stuff really not just for the sake of it although there's a bit of me that is just for the sake of it but there's something more tactile and feely about an analog world than a digital one and um so i'm yeah that's good that's all jolly jolly I good agree. anyway <laughs> anyway my my ruminations about fridges which i'm sure everybody's been completely enchanted by aside um 
The uh, This book, let's start off with the book, because it'll give us an anchor point to kick off with. Is this book that has just been republished, actually, by MoneyTreePublishing.com. Uh, in fact, I got a copy the other day. Uh, I read the original version a few years ago by Benton Bradbury, called The Myth of German Villainy. And I understand, Monica, that you too are familiar with the book, yeah? I have it right in my lap, and I read it probably two years ago, and I must say it is really one of the best books out there. If a person was wanting a good overview of history that led up to, you know, what happened in World War II, or just the background stories, I mean, it really is good. It, it's a good read. If, if you were just reading one book about that period of time, I would suggest this might be a good one to to choose for that. Yeah, and it's, you know, he has a really good approach to it. He's not coming down with a hammer on your head and, but he gives a lot of background. So you're, you're drawn into this narrative that, and some of it is really hard to read, I should say, because he does talk about what some of the the uh what what the cheka did in in the soviet union what the you know terrible things that the communists did yep and this also provides some background for the reader as to what it was that was being fought against yes. in world war Two. Mm -hmm. so that was really important i think i mean i agree with you i think as an introductory book and i said this when i when i first had it a few years back I think as an introductory book, it's hard to beat because it really is for the person who is just maybe got a few questions about things and thinks, maybe I ought to read something about this. I can't think of a better introduction. As you say, it's very light touch, although it obviously addresses the very heavy aspects of things that took place during that period, which are at times, of course, completely off the charts in terms of the cruelties and the, and the ruination of things. Yes. And at the uh, same time, Paul, at the same time, though, it, it should not be dismissed by those who are already deep into this subject. So n not that we should, um, you know, scare them away from reading this if you don't already have it on your bookshelf. Uh, I would say even for those who are well into, you know, the the true and real history. So I think it's good for, for everybody. It should be mandatory high school reading, you know. Oh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> do they still have high schools, though? They don't have them anymore, do they? They have these sort of things that are taking place. Schooling seems to have just evaporated rapidly over the last sort of 10 or 15 years. I'm being slightly sarcastic. Indoctrination centres for, uh -huh. for the young people. Indoctrination and perversion centres is, I suppose, more realistic, uh, a better description of what's going on there. Yeah. I think you're right. And I think... Um, uh, I mean, you were talking there about people that might know quite a bit about this, and, and probably, possibly, there are people in the audience that do, but there, I think there's probably a large uh, block of listeners here that don't know a great deal about it, in terms of the fact that you can even ask questions about it. But, but for knowledgeable people, I think the book is really useful, because you will have in your hands a book that you could give to people that are, it's a really great introductory book. I think that's the best thing you can say about it. You know, there are some very heavy books out there which are big, fully detailed, and they're for like, well, you know, the seasoned or semi-seasoned researcher into the topic who is keen to get to the bottom of the truth with these things. And, of course, you discover a completely alternative story about things. But Bradbury's journey as an individual, as a personality, 
is wonderful. He's like himself going from a position of not knowing much. Um, because effectively he goes to Germany, doesn't he? And he's expecting to find lots of, well, evil people, yes. <laughs> to put it, isn't he? <laughs> and then he gets a surprise and, and then he starts digging. I, I don't remember the full story of how he really got into it. Maybe you, you have a broader picture of that. I think I just didn't have he either retired from the US Air Force or he was on holiday there or something. I mean, I think it began for him when was he in the Air Force? He's he's not World War II, was he? Was he Korea and 60s and something like that? You know, those things that that they're key points but they're not valid to the arguments I think of, of what he goes on this personal journey having like everybody else this is what's so useful about it being exposed to the conditioning, the propaganda of movies and TV reports and everything which go on relentlessly. In fact, they've got to a ridiculous level. I mean, I've got certain cable channels, to give it that old-fashioned term here. There's one series is called, I'm sorry, I kid ye not, The Buildings That Fought Hitler. <laughs> you go, the the oh, Buildings That Wait? That the, buildings, the Buildings That Fought Hitler. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm serious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, the buildings. It's these buildings wow. that fought Hitler. I mean, it's just sort of any kind of line on which to continue to pound away with the establishment narrative. Almost, you know, from my perspective, as if they're anxious that no one should ever even begin to question it ever. So we must keep pounding away on the young brains out there that are coming and, and into the space. Yeah, that's something that I hope that we'll, we'll talk about today, Paul, is how... This narrative is so programmed into people's heads that they cannot even hear the name Adolf Hitler without flinching. And or or if you were to say something good about Adolf Hitler, that they just automatically will will shut down. Like their their brains just cannot handle it be, from all the conditioning. And I have to say that even if after I myself was learning the truth about World War II. And I mean, we haven't even got into it yet, but just suffice it to say that the, the Hollywood narrative is so far from the truth that it's it's just not, it, it's not funny. So, you know, when, when I even started to learn the truth and realize that, gee, maybe Adolf Hitler was not the baddest man that ever walked the face of this earth, but I still felt myself have a visceral, physical reaction yep. if I saw him pictured nicely in, in a favorable picture like him petting a dog or you know smiling at, at children or whatever he's just like he was a nice man and if I saw a picture of that goodness in him I I just flinched I, I couldn't handle it for quite a long time until I cleansed myself of that conditioning it took a while Paul it did mm -hmm. I, I was the same I mean, here we are talking about it. Obviously, anybody just tuning in and uh, you're listening, by the way, to Paul English Live here at uh, paulenglishlive.com on WBN324. We're here every uh, every week uh, at 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. UK, uh, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. US. But anybody just tuning in would think that we have always held these views. And I remember there was a point where I literally accepted, and this would be up until probably about 25 years ago, um, I got stirred up, um, as everybody knows, because I've gone, well, if you've not heard me say it before, I'm not going to go into it in great detail, but I got stirred up over banking, and this sent me off down a lot of rabbit holes 
uh, I wasn't a banker, but but it led me into studying the lies of history, which turn out to be Im- immense, and on practically every page of, of established history books. And of course, you end up being conditioned. So that emotional response you're talking about was pretty much the one I had. When people, when I first found out that people were questioning the veracity of certain accounts which I held as being absolutely true, I was repulsed, just like anybody else. And I think, you know, seasoned inquiries, I mean, it's not that I can tell people how to suck eggs, but I think it's really important to remember that when you're talking to people who've never come into contact with this sort of information at all. Uh, the look on their faces and stuff is probably one that you had when you first bumped into this thing. I mean, it certainly was for me. Yeah. And for me, it's much more recent than for you, Paul. I mean, I think, well, I know when it was. It was 2011 that I started to uh, wake up to the fact that 9-11, the, the, the story, the official story about 9-11 was a big lie. And that was 10 years after 9-11. And then it was after that that I started to learn mm-hmm. some of the uh, earlier lies. You know, lying wasn't invented in 2001. And so... Yeah, I mean, we had chatted this morning that, you know, we would we would like to address this for people who perhaps they haven't looked into World War II history in in great detail yet, other than what the Hollywood version is. And by Hollywood version, I just mean the mainstream narrative, the, the, the stuff you learn in schools and universities in a lot of textbooks everywhere, basically. And it's reinforced and repeated all the time. And it's also put as a backdrop in just about any other subject, you will quite often have just one sentence or one little thing slipped in about, oh, it's like the Holocaust, or oh, that's like the Nazis, or that's like this, when the subject at hand is nothing even related to those things. But somehow they just keep Mm -hmm. hammering it into people's heads by those assumptions, that background assumption that this is, this is true, you know, this is just the way it is. And so that's something that that we, yeah, I really hope that we can address that and perhaps uh, just crack that shell a little bit for a few people who haven't yet looked into this and might yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe we can. I think it's going to take a little bit more than two hours for, for all that kind of stuff because it's <laughs> it's sort of like one one little question prompts another five or six, doesn't it? But you know, I, I did have as a little note for this. <laughs> I was actually going to stick it on the image. I did have as a little note. So dot dot dot. You want to be a Nazi? Question mark. Right, which is me being sort of sarcastic about certain things because you just mentioned that word. And, of course, it's the go-to word for um, character assassination. They're all Nazis, yes. right? I mean, this has been sort of a staple diet. And, uh, you know, I try to point out to people that, effectively, there haven't been any since the end of the war in 1945. And it wasn't even a name that these people actually gave themselves. It was, of course, a demonizing word uh, given to them by the enemy, as it were, the other side of things. And the propaganda war is really what we're studying. I mean, because, of course, once you see these little chinks in the the so-called truthful court historian's story and you apply them to this particular period of history, this is what happened to me, and I'm sure it happens to everybody else, you suddenly have to ask yourself, Hmm. That stuff I read about the US Civil War, is that true? Is that true about the French Revolution? Is it? Gosh, it turns out that this 
sort of practice of drumming people into a mental condition that is a long, long way away from the truth is nothing new, which it isn't. And of course, it's amplified, however, with modern technologies in World War II. That's why we, we know it so well, I guess. Yeah. No, that's right. You know, before we dive deeper into this, I want to segue onto something that you said in your introduction, and it just instantly flashed into my mind, because you you talked about not knowing what an extreme right even is. And yes, I myself am thoroughly confused. What does this all mean, this extreme right or extreme left? And here's how Alfred, my brother, handles that. When he was being told by the judge, just you know, maybe it was one week before he was released from his previous sentence, his four-year prison sentence, and this is just as background for those who don't know, he was in jail for four years for for videos, for words, for mm -hmm. speaking, right? Yeah. So anyway, about a week before he got out, and that was in 2022, the judge was giving him, telling him the conditions about, you know, what he was to do and not to do and blah, 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 all that stuff. And one of the things she said to him is, do not talk to anyone on the extreme right or... And I, she might have said, and or the extreme left, I don't know. But anyway, the extreme right, that's forbidden. And Alfred just, he did not miss a, a single beat. He says, I never talk to anybody on the extreme right. If they are on my right, I turn 90 degrees and face them. And then they are straight in front of me. And then I talk to them. That's, yeah. That was it. We, <laughs> we, you know, just turn 90 degrees and then they're in front of you. They're no longer on your right. <laughs> I know. I mean, so, I, it's a strange term because obviously there's that um, – the movement of things has been towards leftist thinking, for want of a better phrase, for decades now. So uh, people that are moderate or would have been moderates, as it were, 30 years ago are now classed as right-wingers or even extreme right-wingers. Yes. Um because, you know, if you don't really push in the direction of centralization, of global control, if you're not pushing in that direction, you're running counter um, to uh, uh, you're running counter to the other side and they don't like it. So that's how they sort of demonize you and sort of get you all uh, done out in that way. And I was thinking that maybe there's time for a party over here. I thought, well, maybe I need to become an extreme, 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 right? When it's triple X, quadruple, you know, how, uh, you know, just to get even a semblance of getting back towards individual responsibility, we've got to be so extreme. So it's yeah, losing actually, it. Is, yeah. It's losing, yeah, it's losing its power. And it's actually a good way to take the sails or say, take the wind out of their sails. I was going to say, take the sails out of their wind. But mm -hmm. um, is it when somebody calls you a label that is meant to be a demonizing label, you embrace that and it, it totally surprises them. And, and that's it. They're, they're, they've, you've taken the power out of whatever they're doing. So, yeah, you could just say, or Alfred also used to say this, like, Oh, you're are you a you're a Nazi or whatever? And he said, Oh no no no, I'm a super duper turbocharged, you know, Nazi mm. or whatever it was they called him, just to just to laugh in their faces really with those labels because that's all they are. And um, I about that particular label about uh, extreme right or in German they'll often say rechtsradikal, so radical right. I really like those words because if you look at the root of the word right, and and in German the same thing, rechts, recht, rechts come up in all these words like 
justice and and correct. It's it's you are correct when you are right. You are um, righteous. Mm-hmm. You are like it's all these good qualities. And then the word radical, actually, it means to get to the root of things. So if we are getting to the root of things, that means we are getting right into the the truth, the kernel. You know, right into the the root of what is true, what is correct, and we are right. So I say thank you very much for that label, radical right. Let's embrace it. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I. I- <laughs> I mean, this it's difficult to know we whether you should... I tend to embrace their labels. I mean, I think Alfred's tactic is correct. You embrace them, and then you amplify them out. And I think turning these things into a joke is really important, because they are. They don't really mean too much. But what they do succeed at, of course, is creating division amongst people. And the label yes. comes first, and there's very little thinking after that. Oh, no, he or she is this, that, and the other, and therefore I cannot possibly uh, spend any time entertaining any of the things that they're about to say and so i mean i think that the it's like the the even-handed way of asking questions as a key part of communication of course has been diminished or lost everything now is charged with an angle or with someone just trying to win an argument not about actually revealing the truth which is a different sort of attitude and approach in communication altogether it seems to me and that quality has been lost obviously i mean politics amplifies this nonsense all over the place um and so you've got i mean like you know just coming over to this extreme thing i do say to people i say um you know, are you against the sort of globo homo LGBT globalist WEF agendas? And many people will say yes. So I will say to them, so you're a Nazi then? You know, as a joke, really. <laughs> That's and they good. go, yeah. So, so you're a Nazi? And people will say to me, well, no, no, I'm not a Nazi. I said, oh, well, you will be. I said, it's just a matter of time. I said, whether you think of yourself like that or not, you're going to be called that by the other side. They have to call you that because they don't have anywhere to go in their thinking. And they're certainly not going to have you adjust their thinking, you know, to to understand the situation. I mean, it's, it, it does seem to me, Monica, it's almost like a ridiculous idea to think that there could be some kind of agreement as it were or a connection between these supposedly two sides you know that the right wing and the left wing are two wings of the same crazy bird flying around in circles just causing mayhem all over the place and nothing seems to move forward in terms of true understanding so yeah people don't want to be called nazis i suppose i don't suppose they they like it very much but um there you go. It's you just are been gonna... so demonized. It's yeah. just been so demonized. And it's just such a meaningless term, like you said earlier. What does it mean anymore? I mean, anybody and anything that that goes against whatever narrative it is that the you know, the powers that be are pushing on us is called a Nazi these days. And I mean I it just is sometimes it's just thoroughly confusing, but until you realize that, wait a minute, they're just labeling everybody a Nazi that they don't like. Whoever the they is that, you know, whether whatever, whoever it is, you know, it's just completely meaningless. And and what you said earlier is so true that once you have a label applied to you or to somebody, it shuts down people's ability to think. The, the it shut it put gates, it put it these labels put yes. gates into your brain so that you separate, you compartmentalize, you you get completely fragmented and you are unable to think to come to sensible conclusions, you know, and, and, you know, the, some of these topics, the, the ones that are really being pushed on us, and it's not just the one that we're going to 
touch on mm-hmm. uh, to do with World War II, but it's more current topics too. Oh, there's just no debate. There's just no debate. I mean, they'll tell you that flat out that, oh, it's all, well, especially with the, the, the very forbidden subject of World War II, they will tell you never to debate a denier, yes. you know, and, and then of course that label denier gets put onto all kinds of other issues like climate denier or vax <laughs> denier or whatnot. Yep. Completely meaningless terms, but you know, on the climate too, I'm just pulling this example out, not that we want to switch uh, course. No, but here, I think but it's part it's of just, the thread, Monica. I think it's absolutely it is. key that it, it, this is really what connected. we're addressing. Yeah, it's the way but, that the, the the any debate on any of these areas obviously we're looking at this one because it's it's what it's like a go-to argument that the other side go to again and again and again but of course as you've just said it is in the climate thing is in every single aspect of supposedly decent interactive communication the name calling comes up as fast as they can possibly do it to effectively and it works it shuts down the inquiring part of the minds of many of the listeners who could be drawn in in a different way they don't want us to be effective at this so you have to be demonized you know you're just a nazi am i oh all right then uh, i yeah. thought i suppose i must be because i had cornflakes this morning for breakfast and that's pretty nazi isn't it i mean it just gets ridiculous you can't <laughs> sort of you know what i mean oh yeah i've got my nazi underpants on or whatever it might be yeah. don't say the word everybody's cringing so it is it's like it's it's pavlov's dog you know it's ringing the bell you just do it and people go into it i understand why they do by the way i'm not blaming them I'm just saying, obviously, the, the climate of communication has been such that it's not surprising that many people react and respond in that way. Actually, yeah. the assaults the assaults on us in at every which way and every level and at every age are so strong that I would rather celebrate those who have been able to emerge and come out of that mind conditioning and mind programming rather than disparaging those who are, have not yet been able to crack that nut mm-hmm. open so to speak you know because i know that we we tend to once we've kind of opened our eyes you know then we might get kind of uh, the tempta- temptation is there to to disparage people and say well look can't you see this like can't you so yeah it's recent enough in my own life that i remember still believing all the things that they told us were true and and there's a good reason for that you know we I grew up in a country where we were told that we had complete total uh freedom of speech and freedom freedom of the press mm-hmm. and this democracy was so great it was it you know, government for for the people by the people <laughs> of the people so if yep. you have total freedom of speech and you have total freedom of the press well then is it not logical to conclude that they are going to tell us the truth because if one a journalist tries to lie to us well the others will surely call them out call them out because we have freedom of the press right so it's a logical conclusion to think that they're always telling us the truth mm-hmm. and that was so drummed into us paul about how we we just live in the greatest country ever and it's total freedom of speech freedom of the press like i say i mean i could just repeat that over and over but it, that is the backdrop to why in Canada it's particular bad, particularly bad that the people have been so um, well conditioned with and and you know brainwash. I don't even like that word anymore because it sounds clean. We our brains have been made 
sick or toxified with the, the toxic lies. Like we have been contaminated. That's the word I was looking for. Our brains have been contaminated with the toxic lies. And then, of course, all this, these labels, the language, the weaponized words. Like it, it's a war and it's a psychological war. And so they really have pulled out all the stops. And so quite often people will say, well, no, I'm not influenced by, you know, advertisement mm-hmm. or what prop- false propaganda. I'm not influenced by that. I can think for myself. But I know plenty of people who are very, very intelligent people who do believe all the things that we've been told is essentially true. Very, very intelligent people in other ways. But... Yeah. I don't know. And and even the most educated sometimes, sometimes that's especially those who are unable to see that we've been, because they've, they've invested a lot of time into, you know, yes. uh, the institutions of higher learning, like universities or whatever, and read a lot of books and really think, well, no way, we would know if they were lying to us, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, they would tell us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> so, I mean anybody that question this is a crackpot, right, Monica? You're just completely out of your tree, you know? Why would you even ask questions about these things? And of course... Yeah, and I mean, I experienced it firsthand of how they handle it when you do start breaking out of that narrative. And nothing they ever did convinced me that I was wrong in reaching new conclusions. No, in fact, all the things they did... It reinforced in in my mind that no I was on the side of truth and they are protecting lies they were protecting the lies and that's why they pulled out all the stops but they didn't pull out all the stops in terms of presenting the evidence for their narratives no, no. they couldn't do that they couldn't do that Paul in fact they forbade it I don't know if <laughs> you want to get into any of that, but we, we want you wanted to talk about Germany in particular, and and that would be a really good subject. How how is it that the German people got more? Uh, they were at the center, the target, the really in the crosshairs of this re-education program yes. in German. It's Umerziehung, Umerziehung in German, re-education program, a la George Orwell style. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking about just learning a new way of doing math. No, we're talking about re-educate as in, out, you know, the, the what you know now goes in the trash can and we're going to replace those things with uh, new new stories, new stories. Uh, and is, one is, of the this, things, is that the teaching sorry? process that began after World War II? Is that sort of... Uh, yeah, I was yeah. just going to say, you know, the right. best time to put to have a major paradigm shift in people's whole way of thinking is after they have been absolutely uh might i use that terrible term shock and odd yes uh you know because okay so world war ii germany was absolutely just flattened and hammered and traumatized and bombed and burned and just they were in such a terrible state because the world basically ganged up on them you know the mm-hmm. all yes, lies the allies yep. okay so um they were in a very bad state and that is the time when new narratives uh you, you plant new narratives you have a major paradigm shift what what you know what they did right right afterwards with the villagers who lived near places like Auschwitz is they filed the villagers past display table which had on it things that they now admit were just propaganda tools, shrunken heads, yep. soap made out of the fat of Jews is what they said. Yes. And and the other one was the lampshades made out of the skin of 
Jewish people who were in these camps. So mm-hmm. these were on tables and they filed villagers, ordinary German people pass it and said, look what you've done. Look what your people have. They were just absolutely traumatized by, you know, I don't even think they were able to, their brains would be able to even resist this type of thing because they themselves were so um, yep. traumatized from the war. Yeah, so it did I mean, start what, right. I mean, after it's what World we call today, but I, I guess they called it this in the in the. It's atrocity propaganda. We're, we're familiar with the story over here from World War One of Germans apparently running across Belgium with babies on pitchforks. This happened a lot, apparently, according to the newspapers of the time. So, I mean, I don't know whether that is the first instance of atrocity propaganda, but it certainly they ramped it up at the end of World War Two to, as you say, to traumatize more fully the German people, who have then, many of them, understandably gone around almost like apologising or being subdued in life for something that they think is attributable to them as a people as a whole, which is, in my view, in my considered opinion, not true. It is not true. Right. uh, Yeah. Well, the Yad Vashem Museum in uh, in Israel, they have, like their Holocaust historians have admitted that the lamps, the soap, and the lampshades, the soap, and the shrunken heads, those were not true. They said, no, no, those were just, um, you know, tools of whatever, atrocity propaganda tools. So they have admitted those to be lies. And, you know, but yet they, they don't stop teachers from teaching that stuff. They don't say, wait, 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 wait. we know no. those are lies. Like, that's still, those narratives are still out there. But no... A Holocaust historian, even the ones who are still telling you about the, the whole, you know, the, the mainstream version of it, none of them will actually say, yeah, that happened, because they know that those are lies. And there are many other parts of their narrative that have changed over the years. I mean, the narrative started out, you know, the Soviets, when they went into Auschwitz, they, the first narrative, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, but I, they talked about uh, electrical electrocution by putting prisoners on these um these mm. uh what do you call it like a, a band like um oh fleecebund in deutsch <laughs> it's um conveyor belt that's it an electrified conveyor belt and then yes. drop the bodies into some kind mm. of a hole or whatever i mean they changed their story so many times they changed numbers so many times they've done they've changed their own narratives in many ways like how the alleged uh, murders took place and where they took place and what methods. But you see, when they make these laws that you are not allowed to question their narrative, they don't specify what the narrative is. They, They never tell you the details of what you are not supposed to question. They only just say, and these laws exist in many countries that you are not allowed to question or diminish or mm-hmm. you know minimize the shall we say the word the Holocaust. So uh, there it is. You're not allowed to do that, but they don't tell you what you're not allowed to say. So if you actually repeat back to them what has been published in Jewish uh, sources, Jewish newspapers, Jew, you know maybe the the Yad Vashem Museum itself mm-hmm. or wherever they. They, you can repeat those those facts back to them. What they publish in their and they are changing. They're changing from one month to the next, one year to the next, and yet you're still being accused of this thing called Holocaust denial if you question the six million, right? 
I think it's, you know, you mentioned something a little bit earlier about the press and the newspapers and the, this um, assumption that we make that I think in the past when it was made probably bore a lot of fruit, which is I've been told we have a free press. There are all these independent journalist organisations. If one of them starts lying, the others are going to pick it up and they're going to make hay. Uh, and of course, that's an assumption that I think probably in the early days of newspapers did bear fruit. It would have done. Yes. Um, before things became conglomerates. But what yes. has actually occurred now is that journalists um, are basically, um, you know, tarts for hire with a pen. It's gone. The idea of some kind of independent press is a complete fiction of the mind, you know. Um, why? Why won't they do it? Well, I, I'm going to come back in very basic terms to the fact that if they do, they're out of a job and they've all got mortgages to pay. You go, well, that's not a big deal. It's a huge deal. People can't actually function if they're having the main foundational platforms of their life undermined and removed from them. They cannot do it. People become very dysfunctional and they're scared. Of course, they've got a lot of agreement in the journalist club. Let's go that. So-and-so's rocking the boat. And the and we've got a real example of that right now over the last two or three years with this COVID malarkey. That's yes. the thing. The real disease is not whatever they say are the diseases. Uh, that's minor, secondary. I mean, you know, I've got my own views on that. We, we should probably go into it at some point, not you and I necessarily in this show, but I, I'll go into it at some point. But I don't see that the objects of it, the content of that being the problem is the context. The context is we're all going to stick together and we're going to maintain this fiction and you're going, there's something seriously... That's the bit that personally shook me over the last two or three years. Because I suddenly realised that no matter how much factual content people like you and I and others and the people tremendously knowledgeable about a whole range of topics which have got truth in the middle of them and have fought similar fights against a wall of lies, all the content that we pour in goes nowhere because the people are basically, I'm not moving away from the club. I won't do it. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> You're saying things here that are going to cause me to lose my job, you naughty person. And it's maybe a that, even yeah, yeah maybe, maybe even worse. lose your life. Maybe even lose your life. Yeah, so it's that's the hidden hand as it were. This hidden sort of agreement amongst large groups of people. I mean, we could get sort of I suppose super uh, anthropological about it and say that obviously when people were kicked out of villages, if you were, you know, excommunicated from the village, you were probably going to die in the past. There'd be bears out there, and they'd have you after a few days. You'd have no no mates to rely upon. We do not want to be alone. I mean, we you, think that we're alone, but we don't want to be, and, and therefore the journalist faction has now succumbed to that almost totally. I mean, look, we've got this guy, Julian Assange, who actually stood up and said things, and they've just put him in solitary confinement for I don't know how many years now. I mean, it's just horrific what they're doing, and we seem to have no power to correct it. Or maybe I'm just a weed and haven't discovered the right way of doing it. But it's and it's on the nub of these what appear to be little instances that the whole what comes after that. Well, what comes after that is violence. That's how they get wars yeah. going. You've got a hugely ignorant people who who you've designed to be ignorant of things. You've caused them to become ignorant through your conditioning system. And then they're easily drummed up into going off and doing something ludicrous. I mean, we had the, the thing with the Israel thing as well, the atrocity propaganda with apparently the heads off of babies. I mean, isn't that yeah. sort of World War One? You know, as, as soon as I heard that about mm -hmm. the babies, I mean, it was just like instant recognition of a pattern here. 
<laughs> they talk yep. about babies being beheaded or babies being thrown out of incubators or ba- babies on bayonets. It's kind of always about the babies to get the this uh, atrocity propaganda going, isn't it? I mean, it is. It was just so obvious that that was a lie. And that they were. It, it, it yeah. was. You know, I, I completely agree. The thing about these. Why do they still keep using them? Well, it obviously works. Why? I think the emotional impact of these stories, no matter who you are and how seasoned you are, gets you so fast that it, like, puts a little bomb in your head. It takes days for things to settle back down again and, and to start thinking rationally about it, properly, calmly. One, This is the quality, the skill that we must, I think, reacquire or, you know, re-strengthen in all of ourselves as individuals is to, you know, it's a bit like I, <laughs> I've got to, you know, metaphorically take out my pipe, uh, fill it full of tobacco, light it, and say, I'm just going to think about this for a little while. It's that kind of, the moment of consideration is lost because it's suddenly you're sped into this emotional reactive space. And whilst you're in this sort of state of whatever they would call it, distress, all the lies get piled in. By the time you've detected what they are, there's a whole new set on the block. They come, they, they're coming in four weeks' time, you know, to bomb you again. And whilst it still keeps working, they're obviously going to keep on doing it, aren't they? Yeah, it, it it does boggle the mind actually. The level of this, you know, how they how they present the news and how they present the stories and what the impact of that is. And and I think you hit on, on the emotional part of it. That this emotional impact the that that's huge i mean i think that the, the thinking part for some reason until you have actually really i don't know what it is why is it that that some of us are you know we say well wait a minute there's something wrong with that you know this is a good time though paul to be connecting some dots though because so many many people have opened their eyes during these last few years with the covid the COVID scam and scandal. Yeah, it's amazing. And- it's an amazing time. A lot of people that would never have even been in a space of inquiry about things like this suddenly find themselves propelled into it and probably a little bit shaky, but building up speed rapidly. You know, they're, they're going to get to the cold face of things and find out really what the nitty-gritty is. And it is, I suppose if you've been in it for some time, you forget how disturbing it is along the way. It is. It is disturbing. You know, I mean... It- it's hard. It, it's hard it that first step. I remember yes, feeling nauseous. I've, I felt nauseous when I first w- went through the first door of, of waking up to the fact that we're being lied to. I felt nauseous for weeks. And then after that, the subsequent lies to uncover them, it didn't make me feel physically sick anymore. But I, you know, each time it, it it's kind of like, okay, this is another lie. You know, we've been lied to about this and we've been lied to about that. And what was it that William Casey, that was the CIA director, said in a debriefing meeting with Ronald Reagan when Ronald Reagan just got elected in? He said, when everything the American people believe is false, then our disinformation program is has been successful. Yeah, nice guy, eh? Nice guy. <laughs> well, but, you and know, why I think are they, they doing they, that? Why are they doing that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's. I think we have to look at who's who's that hidden hand. You mentioned the hidden hand. Our government that we elect, you know, dutifully go to the polls and elect or, or vote, go vote, and you know, everybody that's drummed into us too from a very young age that it's your 
civic duty to go vote and i mean heaven he- mm. heaven forbid i used to run in elections but i ran for the, probably the worst party of all but i didn't know that when i was still upside down in the upside down world <laughs> i was running for the greens you know and and oh, there monica the, that's oh, if the, i'd have known that i, I wouldn't have invited you on <laughs> <laughs> but i i have i have relabeled them now you'll like it it's the watermelon party you know the, oh yeah the nice that's and better green. Yeah, Green yeah, on the good. outside and red on the inside. They are the worst. I would say they are the worst because they have been the trendsetters. They, in Canada, they're just a fringe, fringe party. They don't have very many people in seats, but they set the agenda with their carbon tax and, and you know climate change agenda and all the things that they've been doing. And they kind of set the agenda. And, and they, they would say things like, well, Elizabeth May, the leader of the Green Party, she said, Oh, I don't care if the other parties steal our ideas, and I don't even care if they don't give us credit for for implementing our ideas, as long as they implement our ideas. And at the time that I heard her say that, I thought, how noble of her, how unselfish of her that she, you know, she just wants mm. this this green agenda to be implemented, and it doesn't even matter if they don't even give us credit. And now I understand that actually that was double speak for. We are setting the agenda, and the other, the mainstream parties are going to implement our agenda. We're just, you know, we're just going to sort of be like a front as a fringe party that nobody takes too seriously, but yet it is our policies that are going to be implemented. This is how I see it. So when Elizabeth May was telling us, oh, I don't care if they steal our ideas, they don't even have to give us credit, huh? Yeah, mm-hmm. she was actually telling us exactly what the program is. I that's my take on it anyway. Yeah. No, I think I mean once this well not once this but this principle of deceit and lying and deception and the whole sort of communications approach that they take from the supposed top, right? Once it's seen in action, you see it in every single sphere of their communication. It's a nonsense. I mean, we have this situation over here. You've probably got it there as well. This is just a simple observation. It's the simple things that that kind of escape my attention a lot of the time as well. I have to keep sort of like hitting myself on the head with a bit of wood. Remember this. Don't forget this. We've had this COVID thing going on. We have a migrant issue, so-called. That's that's the label they've given it, right? Uh, We can – it's something else, but that's what it's called. Over here – not one politician out of 650-odd of these guys and gals, not one that I'm aware of, has made a consistent rebuttal of these processes and, and made intelligent communications in public spaces to say that the country is obviously being intentionally mismanaged to the detriment of the well-being and happiness of the Britons um, and that these migrants are being used as some kind of a proxy situation to, to amplify this distress. The whole of the so-called argumentation is complete nonsense, but because it never is allowed to be rebutted, they won't allow it to be rebutted in a space cleanly, it drones on and people now have become, including the political class, it seems to me are all hypnotized by it they are they're in a state of stupefaction none of them will dare speak out about it because the party says i'm not supposed to and you know you have hit the nail on the head and anybody who does even even just dare to to object one little tiny bit you are a racist and if you Mm -hmm. are a racist that's going to lead to the next holocaust this is the narrative, Paul. You've just hit the nail on the head with what you just said. That's what is the agenda, is to flood 
our countries, countries that have people that are of European stock. So the European countries themselves, plus Canada, United States, Britain, Mm -hmm. uh, Australia, and New Zealand were being flooded with all these people who are called migrants or refugees. But really, when you look at who's coming in, uh, it looks like an invading army. What do you think about that? I think it's an invading army. (laughs) Well, I I think it's literally that. uh, And, of course, it's the communication space that's enabling it to persist. I mean, in the past, look, I I accept that all politics has been skewed, this, that, and the other, but I'm working on the basis that it's so fully taken over now. It's, it's It's literally of no use. It's not just a euphemism to say the bloody government's useless. It's literally true. It is literally of no use. Um... We don't need it because what it's actually I would say doing, worse than that. Well, I would is. say it's worse than, worse than useless because that implies something neutral. I would say they are the enemy of the people. Yes. I would take it that step further. They are the enemy of the people. And, you know, back to that hidden hand, is it really the, the people who are actually elected into office? I think a lot of those people were well-meaning people who wanted to do things well they wanted to do things right but i think they find out very very quickly that when they get there either to ottawa or whatever the provincial capital is or you know your prime minister or whoever when they get there they learn very quickly that they really don't have much to decide on it's decided for them right yes so yeah i've I've got i've got an idea monica for a a fictitious political character i must sort of introduce him into this show once i've written a few scripts for him i call him i call him pip which just is a shorthand acronym for politically incorrect politician oh i like uh, that yeah he's pip uh pip is also the name of the lead character from charles dickens great expectations which is a great story so it's it's quite useful but no one would be called pip over here now because it'd be a bit fey you wouldn't think of it as being a strong manly name although i don't know where things are going but what pip does in my mind is he tells the truth so he would say uh, uh, much to the chagrin and but he somehow survives because this is a fiction and i can make him survive all the time in this fictional space <laughs> But, of course, that's how you can do it. Yeah, of course. And this is, we need to really look at this. The whole idea of telling stories, you know, one of the little quotes I keep rolling out here from Plato is, those who tell the stories rule society. And it's da- this is a thing that we can all be doing to start telling stories more. But what I've thought about with Pip is, for example, um, if, let's suppose he wins an election or something to get into power and he's making his speech to the press. It would go something like, hello, thank, thanks everybody for turning up on this election night. I want to thank everybody for voting for me. We've all worked very hard over the past year to get the vote out and I've got in. Brilliant. Unfortunately, I've got to inform you that all the promises that I made you on the campaign trail, I won't be fulfilling or doing any of those. I won't be able to. I've been lying to you effectively for the last year. The only consolation you've got is that all the other candidates that have got elected as well around the country, they've been lying to you as well. But I've at least told you the truth here at the end of this particular process. I look forward to seeing you in another five years' time for another lying waste of time, and hopefully I'll get your vote again and we can see what we can do next time around. Things like that, you see. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Well, yeah, because I I watched the King's speech when the open parliament, he's going to make one at... Christmas time, I just can't wait for old big ears to do that, right? It, and I, it seems to me that we have to write the alternative king's speeches over here. 
and we, 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 we need to develop it into almost like a drama. It's just an idea, but we, we have to find some way of gaining traction, I feel, with these normal people that we're talking about. And that sounds patronizing. I don't mean to. But people who are just taking the first steps into this space, we have to find ways, communication ways, to draw people closer and closer to where the real heat is. And they have to do it in stages, but we've got to do it quickly because, because we're under pressure here. We're under a, yeah, a lot of pressure. that's right. You know? I think that's brilliant what you've just proposed there. And and I also agree with you, like it's really difficult to come up with the right way of saying things without being patronizing for those who, because it, you know, if, if somebody hasn't looked into this yet and they just hear us talking, they think, oh, come on, you guys get off your yeah. high horses there. And, but how do we do that? I mean, we were there. That probably is one important thing to say. We were all there. There are exceptions to that. I have met people who they were wide awake right from childhood because they had parents who were onto this right from the get-go, right? So, mm-hmm. But that's rare. Most people have had their awakening through something. You had it through the banking system and investigating that. I had it through learning what really happened on 9-11 and yeah. other people have had it by other ways i've i've talked to some people there was one woman she had it when she didn't stand up and give a standing ovation she was a librarian and there was some speaker there and probably i don't remember the specific subject but it was probably some speaker that was pushing stuff like like um, lgbtq related materials mm-hmm. and or just whatever pushing the marxist agenda yep. and everybody stood up at the end gave a standing ovation but my friend she had a, this gut feeling that she didn't like the contents of the speech so she did not stand up afterwards she was taken aside by the board and reprimanded can you imagine that paul she was reprimanded simply for not giving a standing ovation now who who says that this is a compulsory thing that you have to give a standing ovation to some speech no you give a standing ovation to a performance that you really thought was brilliant mm-hmm. and that's it and she didn't she just sat there quietly she didn't call out oh you know she didn't heckle the guy she didn't do anything offensive she just sat there quietly but it was noticed that was noticed so you know what that was her awakening it didn't happen all at once but she just thought what there's something wrong with this picture and then she started looking into it and looking at what an interesting awakening story that is isn't it but well it is yeah yeah yeah. she was a very naughty girl and they let her know (laughs) about it uh something i'm going it's the top of the hour so we're going to play a little piece of music and we're going to take a break you listen to paul english live at paulenglishlive.com on wbn324.com wbn324.zil freefall radio south africa speak free radio and other platforms we're going to take a little musical break with a piece of classical music i know you'll be keen on this here we go we'll be back in a couple of minutes
Attention all listeners, are you seeking uninterrupted access to WBN 324 Talk Radio despite incoming censorship hurdles? Well, it's a breeze. Just grab and download Opera Browser, then type in WBN324.ZIL. And stay tuned for unfiltered discussions around the clock. That's WBN324.ZIL. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on the World Broadcasting Network are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of its owners partners and other hosts or this network. Thank you for listening to WBN 324 Talk Radio. Hello and welcome back to uh, the second hour, just slightly less than an hour, of uh, Paul English Live. I'm here with Monica Schaefer. We're discussing the myth of German villainy and the myth of honest communication and the myth of a free press and the myth of democracy and freedom, you know, that kind of stuff. Monica, welcome back to part two. How are you? <laughs> Again. Thank you. Doing well, yes. En- enjoying the, the the snow outside and good cup of tea and enjoying this conversation with you, Paul. Yes, I'm enjoying it a lot. That was Vivaldi, by the way. I think everybody should know that. If you don't, well, lots of tutting, really. <laughs> lots of tutting about that, if you didn't know what that was. Have you ever played that, Monica? Because you are a violin player yourself, are you not? I do play the violin. I have played some of the movements out of the that was out of the four seasons but not mm-hmm. that particular movement no but um yeah that's beautiful beautiful music it really is yeah it is i when i was a teenager and uh didn't have enough money to go to the pub i would stay at home and listen to that and other things of a nighttime drawing and doing things and thinking that i might turn into some great artist i'm i guess i'm not alone like that anyway it's not happened yet but fingers but crossed you, know, you, you never know <laughs> i've heard something I, yeah. i've heard something about this kind of music paul and maybe you can set the record straight on this i don't know i've heard lately about this kind of music it's racist isn't it 
I hope That's so. I only listen us. to racist music, Monica. If it's not racist, <laughs> I'm not interested. If they tell me that this is diverse music for the whole world, no, no, I only want the racist album. I mean, we should come up racist music for racists everywhere. I mean, it's <laughs> it's a sort of ridiculous notion. I mean, isn't nature racist? That's what I want to get to the bottom. I mean, if nature was sort math, of, you know. Math is racist. Math yeah, is math. very racist. That's what I've heard. Well, yes, it's also maths as well. It's also maths in England. We we never could get our brain around why people in North America call it math. I, it's literally lost on me. Anyway, we better not go there, right? Because <laughs> ob- it's always mathematics, and then of course it's maths. Therefore, so we. But you say math, and of course I don't. I don't really know what you're talking about. So arithmetic. A- <laughs> how's that? How about we yeah. go with arithmetic? <laughs> arithmetic's lovely. I like numbers. I like arithmetic. Arithmetic's marvelous. Yeah. Because we know we know that like two plus two. Two equals five, and we also know that maybe one plus one is three because mm-hmm. three buildings came down on nine eleven, but there were only two planes. Oh, I see where you're and going so we, with we, this. And we know good. that's. We also know that six minus three is still six when we mm-hmm. talk about some certain forbidden narrative in World War Two, mm-hmm. and and the the official numbers being reduced on the. The, the official plaque at Auschwitz, they reduced the numbers by 3 million, mm-hmm. but somehow 6 minus 3 still equals 6. But this must be interesting math. Maybe that math is not racist. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. It sounds a bit racist to me. And count me in. I quite, you know, I, um, it's uh, it's just too hard basket for someone like me to sort of work out exactly what anybody really means. I think we just need to the simple the simple stuff. But you're right. The mathematics seems to have a life of its own, doesn't it? In certain quarters, it's uh, yes. It's got a certain life of its own, and it will mean and whatever I was, we say it means. I was, yeah, I was serious about yeah, exactly. Say whatever it means. We say it means that, and I was actually not totally facetious about saying that music was racist because that's what they're telling us in certain uh, schools or universities that they're not Mm going to be teaching the classical music anymore or they're not going to be because it's just somehow is too racist is too dominated by a certain race of people that they don't like very much and that would be the white race or the European people. Yes, I've I've kind of noticed that. Although I don't suppose I'm supposed to notice it. Is that is it racist if I notice that that I think that that's racist? <laughs> For sure. That For seems sure. As though, you know. And then there's probably another layer to it as well. I mean, it does beg the question: if you don't like it, why do you live with us? But I don't want to get there. I mean, they just love us, oh, really. You know, they love us, yes. don't they? That's why they. I ha- I have puzzled <laughs> over that very question too, Paul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have puzzled over that. It, I mean, yeah. I, I don't think it's really rocket science, but people have just got out of the out of the habit of stating the blunt truth about things for fear of giving offence. Whereas giving offence is one of the great joys in life. I don't mind being offended. I mean, wh- what's the problem? You know, people say I'm offended by that. So, well, be offended. It's okay. You're well, right. when they when they start putting people in jail because you hurt somebody's yes. feelings because that's exactly mm-hmm. what they're doing and I'm not exaggerating no they put people not. in jail because you hurt somebody's feelings and maybe that's where people have to say oh have we gone a little too far with this political correct stuff <laughs> I mean know? I think I think the operative word there of course I've mentioned this before is the word we you and I are using this word we and when anybody uses it, of course, they have in their own mind a particular group or type of group of people. You know, there's we, and then there's the people that are outside of the we. Uh, and yet, 
I, I think amongst the people that live in this nation, there is no ultimate, you have to qualify who you mean by we. And as soon as you start to do that, you're going to move into that realm of making distinctions based on race. Now, this is called discrimination, I understand. And I often see these adverts that say, we run a non-discrimination policy in our job hiring or whatever it may be. To which my response usually is, why would I want to work with somebody who doesn't discriminate? I don't understand what you're talking about. I mean, part of what I tend to think is that we are walking, talking, 24-7 discrimination beings. We're doing it permanently. I mean, one of the things about being conscious is that you are permanently discriminating over everything, aren't you? You choose to eat. You choose to eat this food on Thursday, but not on Tuesday, or whatever it may be. So... This is called exercising of free will and and shutting things down. The other thing as well, there's another counter-argument to all of this. It's always made out that we're the troublemakers in this, but this is simply... Of course, I would say it's not fair, Monica, if I take the, if I start whining. Oh, that's not fair. But the truth is that um, these policies are harming everyone. Globalism is, without a doubt, the most racist ideology of them all because it's literally waging war on all races. It's saying you don't have distinct cultures. If you go and live somewhere else, the inherited racial culture that you bring with you, you don't have it anymore. You've got the one of this nation that you've gone into. You're now an American or you're an Englishman or you're a German or whatever it may be. And it's it's wrong and cruel both ways. It doesn't work. And it's literally... And why does it not work? They're suggesting, of course, that this is the only idea that can solve, apparently, some perceived problem with the relationships between the races. It isn't the only idea. There are other... There's another idea. The idea that's actually true, which is the uh, true plan of nature, which is that people know where their ancestral and cultural homelands are, and all of us are happiest when we're with our own in those places. And this is the key thing. I I think it applies to everybody. And, you, you know, that phrase as well, the other one that's been coming out, uh, that they crank out regularly now, we, we get all the toxic words out, white supremacist. Well, for me, um, white people are of supreme importance to me because I just happen to be one. I don't know if happens the right way of phrasing it, but I am one. I would have thought that Chinese people... Uh, find other Chinese people to be of supreme importance to them. Uh, I'd be very mystified if they didn't. How are they supposed to maintain their culture and the little details of life that make it a joy? These are the things, of course, that are being crushed out of all spaces because we need to have some globalist centralised power that knows best for all of us. And one of the things it knows best for all of us is that we must not be distinctively different from anybody else. We must all be equalised. And somehow this is going to produce what exactly? Uh, we Do you all know, know what, what I producing. find interesting? Yeah, mm-hmm. Paul, that was just excellent, all those things that you just said. Um, what I find interesting is that the very same people who will scream about racism, this and that, and, you know, we're all the same, we're all equal, and we should all, whatever, all that stuff, mm-hmm. right? They're yep. the same people who are working very hard to preserve habitat for all the different species of butterflies and and different animals and and all the you know the niches they they we all understand I, I have nature very very close to my heart i mean that's really the origins of my 
activism, my political activism, were because for my love of the natural world. The, the, you know, yes. I wanted to do something to protect the environment. So, but okay, so we we are very cognizant of preserving habitat for all the different species, and we're not going around saying, well, maybe we should just put all the bluebirds together with the blackbirds and all the birds mix them up make sure they they miscegenate make sure they breed with each other so that they you know we we just want one flock of gray birds instead i mean i'm just making a, a metaphor or taking you know one example and an analogy why is it that these the same people who are you know really working hard to preserve habitat for all the different animals and different varieties out there that they all need their niche their their habitat we talk about habitat why why can we not have our habitat why is it that all the other races of people can have their habitat i'll just use that same word and but ours like why can't we have a place for us to live without being invaded by all the people from elsewhere Mm -hmm. Like nobody is saying, gee, we should send all these people into um, Nepal or we should send all these people into Japan or whatever. We're not invading. Those countries are not being invaded mm -hmm. by all the people from various third world countries, be it from Africa, be it from wherever else. But just all the different races are not going to invade those other places. They, The Japanese can have their habitat shall we say just keeping with that that word that applies yes. to natural things why is it that the people of european descent why do we not we're not entitled to our habitat or our place because That's, maybe yeah. because with the theme of this show by extension as i was saying earlier slightly with tongue in cheek we're on the way to becoming nazis you see <laughs> There you yeah, go. We're it's not, back but to that Nazis, doesn't. Yes. It doesn't it's, matter, you see, because what the way that the the German people were abused during that period by as now being extended to all white people. There's no end to this argumentation of things that other countries apparently should have done to deal with a situation that's not even been proven anyway. That's my opinion. You might disagree with that, but that's my opinion on the whole thing, and that's part of it. You mentioned Japan, right? I have a very good colleague in Japan. And he's uh, Canadian, actually, and he's lived there, I think, for about 35 years. So he's uh, you know, quite a time. And I think he went out there originally for, or initially, for his pursuit of uh, more knowledge with regards to martial arts. But it's developed into other things. And he's, he lives there permanently, of course. And he and I will often discuss how the Japanese deal with this. And all you can say about it is that um, the... Uh, um, I'm just being told that the rumble stream is mute that doesn't make any sense excuse me monica yeah that might explain why there's so few people it's been rather odd tonight i just wondered whether because of the title of it we'd been kind of uh restricted on the rumble platform but it doesn't make oh. any sense that we haven't got any uh, any sound if anybody's on rumble and can actually hear it could you just type something in the chat box to let me know sometimes these things go a bit pear-shaped i mean this is a radio show that goes out on a video platform um, but it is proving at times to be a bit of a pain in the bottom. And I don't want it to be with people turning up and expecting to hear things. But it right. shouldn't not be making a noise. Anyway, yes, let's just go back to Japan. Uh, if you're not able to hear it on Rumble, you can hear it over at uh, 
Uh, if you go to PaulEnglishLive.com, there's some links to WBN there if you're in the States. Um, there's WBN324.zil. Probably need an Opera browser for that because that's on another network. Um, there's also SpeakFreeRadio.com and uh, maybe some other platforms as well. We're on Odyssey as well, but these video things are beginning to give me a bit of a bit of the heebie-jeebies, frankly, to be quite honest. I think... Um, I think there might be some other other options in the new year, which I'm going to look at. Anyway, Japan. See, I haven't forgotten my thread. Sorry about that little technical <laughs> thing. These things happen from time to time. Um, in Japan, if you want to be, be live in Japan, a Japanese national, that means a racial Japanese person, has to sponsor you. And that's a heavy deal. It's not a light, oh, yeah, this bloke can come in and live here. Uh-uh. That guy has to know, or that gal, the woman or man that sponsors you, has to take full has to basically make an agreement to the government that you are a trustworthy individual and that they will stand as a responsible sponsor, as a guarantor of your behaviour, that you're going to behave well in the country. And if you don't, not only do you get kicked out, but they suffer badly for it. Now, this strikes me as being completely sensible and decent. What's What's wrong with that? Not only that, he doesn't have the vote. He'll never get it. Yeah, and, and you know, we discussed fantastic. Well, why should he? And he agrees as well. And I would agree. I'm not Japanese. I'm here. They have invited me into their home. I am their as guest. A guest. I, as a guest. Mm-hmm. I'm I behave honorably. I deal with everything as I should. Why should I get the vote? This is for them to decide. Well, I look at my nation and the vote is being cast and given to everybody. So I mean, I would st- you know, sort of take a step back from that and simply say, therefore, the entire system of the management of the nation doesn't exist. I don't support it. I mean, just to let you know, I've never voted for a political party in my life, Monica. Um, I don't do that sort of thing. And I'm not about to start now. And uh, how how are they? The culture, you see, slowly but surely, and particularly since the end of World War Two, this nation has been effectively subsumed. And my argument has been to people, this is because Britain did not win World War II. It lost it, along with all of the Western Christian countries that have been... I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. Yes. You know, I pointed this out. My father was in, in the war, and I had some of the most wonderful chats with him at any period of his life during the last 10 years of his life. They were absolutely marvellous. They were phone calls that would last like this, two and three hours at a time. And I would slowly but surely ask him questions, go through things. We had the most wonderful time of it. He wasn't attached to this sort of bristling military, we won and all this kind of nonsense, which we were imbued with at school as toddlers, you know, and, and, and young infants in the 60s and as teenagers in the 70s. I was. You know, we were great. We dished it out to those evil Nazis and all that kind of stuff. No doubt there were evil people in the National Socialists. I accept that. We had plenty over here. In any army, you're going to get people that are not good. <laughs> Anybody that thinks otherwise is sort of, you know, it's a childish delusion. But when you look at the overall context for what was taking place, and when you suddenly get access to um, communications, offerings of peace to this country by Hitler, 39 of them, 38, 39 offerings of peace, all of them rebuffed, because at the time, the man in charge, supposedly Mr. Churchill, was obviously not the man in charge. Even him. Yes, he wasn't the man in charge. so true. So true what you say. And just back to the initial statement that your country and the all lies nations mm. did not win the war. It's a certain hidden hand that's directing things. The ones who own the banks, the one who, the ones who own the press, the ones who 
our forever crying victim. Mm-hmm. This is these are the dots we have to connect. These are the hidden hands. These are the advisors. And you know, we live in this upside down world, Paul, and so that whole narrative too has been so inverted of who is the persecuted one is actually the one who has been persecuting, who has been doing this, causing these brother wars, causing these wars mm-hmm. between Christian white nations, killing each other off. You know, this is what this is what has happened. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. That the the Brits didn't win, the Americans didn't win, the Canadians didn't win. Like the ordinary people, I have a friend who talks about his buddy, maybe a grandfather or or an uncle, came home from the war and he was on the Allies side. And when after he came home, he 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 shredded and burned his uniform because he had seen what his side did to the German people, and he was disgusted with it. Mm-hmm. You know, so and I mean, so many we we can people can can research this. What some of the quotes that Churchill said too, like, oh, the, Germany will have this war whether it's led by a Jesuit or by a Hitler or by a whatever. It doesn't matter. Like we have to crush Germany because they were so strong economically and whatnot. They they just needed to be crushed, right? It was it had nothing to do with Hitler. In in, no, in it was reality, to, it, right? Yeah, yeah, it didn't. It didn't really. I think um, the complications of it are, are immense. And of course, the problem with the the documentary series that keep coming out is they're basically plowing the same furrow over and over again. Of course, I, I mentioned earlier they've now got the the buildings. The buildings that fought Hitler. This is interesting. <laughs> then there'll be the sheep. What about the fence posts? I mean, there's a whole series of documentary series that we can do. You know, the shrubberies that fought Hitler. It's just childish. It's incredibly bad. Yeah. And yet they're taking all these skilled technicians and people that know how to produce documentaries and the rest. And um, uh, imagine if they were employed gainfully. Uh, to yeah. do it correctly. I mean, the the, the big series but, over here that was the big one was uh, the one narrated by Sir Laurence Olivier in the late 60s, uh, The World at War. It's about 26 parts. It's extremely dramatic. Larry, Sir Laurence Olivier, narrates it well. But there's and, and it's not that what's in there is necessarily a lie because he's reporting on battles and things that actually took place. I accept all that. But it, but the deceit is by omission. It's what is left out of these things. And without the context, and I'm simply going to say that the, the context that is put out for this series of events is wholly inadequate, um, no one can really come to a sensible view of what's taking place, not through mainstream media sources. You cannot do it because the context you've been given is complete nonsense. It's, um, so no wonder, like I've said before, like we were talking about earlier, when I talk to people about this and I can see that look of disapproval come into their face, oh, I've got a nutter here, i.e. me, you know, I understand why people respond that way. It can be, as you were saying earlier, emotionally a little distressing, upsetting to deal with, all those sorts of things. And, On uh, the positive side, or sorry, I don't want to interrupt. Go, finish your thought there, and I'll just no. That say was it. I, I think I finished side. it. I think I, it was a half baked <laughs> thought. Anyway, please step in. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't say anything. <laughs> so, Paul, on the positive side, I would say that them ramping it up now more and more this this uh, Holocaust narrative, the, their narrative of what happened in World War Two, and. Nazi bad, Nazi bad, and all this stuff. I think that they they are ramping it up because they do 
see and understand that their house of cards is tumbling. I, honestly, I think people are actually really ready and eager to learn the truth about these things. And, you know, here's the funny thing. Sometimes I get people, especially in the early days of after my video in 2016, and then I was really being <clears throat> badly treated in my hometown of Jasper. And some of my acquaintances who were well-meaning, they were saying things like, hey, Monica, why do you concern yourself with something that happened so long ago? That's not mm -hmm. relevant to our times. We have bigger and more pressing uh, things to be concerned about now and your time would be and energy would be better used on something current and I just think that is hilarious well it's not funny because it's so so serious the consequences are so serious but how do you put those two things together on the one hand the people were saying that's so long ago and it's not relevant and we have other problems now and on the other hand there's this heavy-duty persecution and laws in more and more countries forbidding you to question the official narrative of world war ii that you go to jail for that how do you reconcile those two positions mm -hmm. if it was so irrelevant to today's age then they wouldn't care what we say about what happened back then so long ago and apparently just of no concern to us now. They wouldn't care, would they? But they care very, very much. They're putting up new museums. It seems every other, every other week you hear about a new Holocaust mm -hmm. museum in a new place that somewhere far away from where this alleged Holocaust took place. Like, why are they ramping up? Oh, and there's more and more jurisdictions where holocaust um it, it, curriculum it is it's a it's mandatory mm -hmm. in the schools or in colleges and this kind of thing like more and more jurisdictions why but i thought it was irrelevant the, that's what some people told me it was not relevant to our current age yeah so there you go how do you put that together <laughs> I, I think it's i think what they're doing you see the question is are we allowed to question history I'm on. I understand that I'm allowed to do that. Now, if someone says you're not allowed to question history, or you're allowed to question all this lot but not that, my next question is why can't I question that bit, right? So, once we're denied the option of questioning things, which is really what they're seeking to do, not just on this topic but all things, you're dead as a human being. You're no longer really alive. Uh, you learn through the attitude that you bring in the questions that you personally ask throughout your life and the sort of responses that you get back. So why the, why so much effort still on this one? Because the floodgates would open. It's like we mentioned earlier. Once you start questioning one part of this rotten tapestry of life, it tugs and pulls on all the other bits. And suddenly you go, oh, oh, this bit about banking, that's a lie. Oh, and this bit about the normal interpretation of the Bible – that's not true either. Oh, look at this. Oh, that's not true either. All these reports on these, oh dear. Oh, I've got a problem with, with everything. That's really what happens to people. You end up with a problem with everything because you suddenly realize that the same agencies that have matured over the past 200 years, ever since the arrival of the printing press in large scale and modern technology of transportation and the speeding up of communications, it's all fallen, uh, you know, gradually into the same hands, into a sort of a control system. 
Yeah, and it's 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 made up of several groups, in my view. People might disagree, but I think it is. And I think you know very much there have been people, English people, who have not done good by other English people. We've always had this thing over here traditionally, ever since the the Normans arrived, of there really being a separation in the attitudes of the Norman upper classes. As that you know, I'm I'm really being blunt. It's not literally like that, uh, and the and the Saxon peasants, which is what I am. Right. <laughs> and we've always had this, you know, they say, well, England's a very class divided country. Well, it is or has been. And that's part of that was a seismic shock here a thousand years ago. But it still runs through because of the way that that was conducted. I, I think that that's why it's just the unraveling of things. I mean, they've got the we say that the Internet has helped, but there's still this barrier. Basically, we're still sort of encircled by this device we're massively more informed but we still have to find a way of melting the walls as it were that's what we're still looking to do i think conversations like this are part of it we're all reaching out and if anybody had hit on the magic answer it would have been found by now so there isn't one necessarily magic answer to all of this kind of stuff but there is a way for us to be warm and kindly to other people and to ask them if they're interested in considering asking questions about things like this do you think you'd be able to talk about it because like i was saying the first question is am i allowed to question things mr person in charge government in charge can i question things no you can't well isn't it isn't it also (laughs) bizarre it paul isn't it doesn't it seem bizarre when you really think about it that they make laws about what happened in the past what what do you mean make a law i -hmm. thought the logical thing there too would be that you make a law about behavior for instance you know you 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 will not go murder somebody or you will not go steal something or whatever those are sensible laws in my view but to make a law about what happened in history how can you do that it doesn't even work physically how can you make a law about you know entrenching or enshrining something in the past that that is the way it happened and that is the way it happened something either happened or it did not happen Mm -hmm. period Something happened or it did not happen. Now, oh, oh, but you're saying, oh, the law is about what you can say what happened. And then take it one step further. When you go on on trial for saying something that they don't like, then you would think the one place that you can present your evidence or explain how you reached your conclusions would be there in front of the judge. Didn't we always learn about the the blindfold of justice, right? That they... It's, it's yep. justice is blindfolded so that you they weigh the evidence on each side. Well, they don't even allow the evidence on the side. They're the, controlling the process, aren't they? They're controlling the, the, the process. Totally. In fact, you are criminalized if you actually try to bring evidence into the court. There are several German lawyers who went to jail yep. for doing their job too well. Sylvia Stoltz comes to mind. Horst Mahler comes to mind. These are yes. lawyers who went to jail simply for doing their job too well, meaning they brought evidence into the court when mm-hmm. they were defending their client. And Alfred said, So we need, we, don't we need a people's independent yeah. review of courts? Uh, it's silly making these things up because we're not good at this sort of thing. But that's what we need. One of the things I wanted to just say, Monica, is that we've had a couple of people call it. One, actually, Joe, you came in and ran out. Oh. <laughs> no, it's okay. You weren't to know. I'm just got looking. scared. Yeah, yeah. So I'll just make this, because we've got about half an hour to go, well, 25 minutes. So if you want to call in and put any questions to Monica or chip in in whatever way with this thread. Oh, Joe's back again. Joe, I'll just, let me just accept him. Hang on. And uh, just hold on, Joe, for a second. Hang on. 
and uh, just got you muted. Uh, we've got Joe and Paul waiting to make a call, so maybe now's a good time to bring them in. And by the way, if you're listening yes. and want to call in, go to paulenglishlive.com forward slash call, C-A-L-L. paulenglishlive.com forward slash call. We'll bring you in. Paul, if you can just wait, because we've spoken before, I'm going to bring Joe in. Joe, hi. Good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hello, Paul. Hi. Hello, Monica. Hello. Monica, I know, I, I know all about you to your brother Alfred uh, around four years ago or so when he was in prison and he wrote me back. Nice. I was very humbled and honored that he did that, yes. Yes. And when you Great. made the video about, yes, sorry, Mom and Dad, I didn't know. So, sorry, Mom, I was wrong about the Holocaust. That was the, the little six-minute video that kind of started this little firestorm. <laughs> yeah, it was. Nice for you to call in, Joe. And good that you met Alfred, I guess. Yeah, that's great. So do you, you know that he is in jail again, do you, Joe? He's gone. Let's oh. bring Paul in. I'll just put him on mute. Here we go. Paul, good afternoon, good evening. What is it with you? Good afternoon. Welcome to the show, Paul. Oh, he's not there either. Look, they're all there. They're queuing up. Let's bring Joe back. <laughs> Joe, you're back now. I'm sorry. That's all there right. There you we are. Were, yeah, uh, we were enjoying talking to you, but you'd run off to the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, well, my, my page went dim. Right. I, I had to click and refresh the screen. It keeps... Unrefreshing. I don't know what, what was the last thing I had said that you could hear. Well, just about Alfred and that you exchanged some letters. And then I asked you if you were aware that he is in jail again. And I don't know if people know yes. what he's in jail for. It's actually quite unbelievable. You think I'm making it up if I, if I tell you what he's in jail for. Do you know, Joe? I, I I think I think he refused to acquiesce to what they wanted him to sign off on or something like that. That's not what he's in jail for, but you know that that happened too. And and the way Alfred puts it is, he says, you know, they they really want us to win because they could have charged me with any number of things far more serious in quotation marks, shall we say? <laughs> but what no, what he did is in his former jail time term when he was in the courtyard and this goes back a couple of years by now, and he, it was just him and one other fellow in the courtyard, because Alfred was in solitary confinement for a long time, but they, they do a lot, 60 minutes of fresh fresh air. And um, there he was, and he was telling his, his buddy there in the courtyard what he was in jail for, that's what prisoners do, they talk with each other, and he was indicating with his arm, straight arm, how high his dog Pavlov can jump, but, you know, just telling him what he's in jail for, and then the guard gets all up in arms and yells at Alfred and says, ah, Herr Schäfer, you know, something about Hitler salute, and and the buddy says, the buddy says, oh, no, 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 he's just showing me how high his dog Pavlov can jump. Alfred didn't even have to say anything, so this is the old Roman salute. It's a friendly salute it, it says i come in peace and friendship but this is such a scary frightening thing for the um, re-educated germans that they have been beaten into submission that if they see some somebody doing that and this is in the courtyard in jail and you'd say who is being harmed by this anyway even if it was a dangerous gesture 
but he's spending six months in a jail cell right now for that crime in quotation marks <laughs> oh but he's in good spirits he's passed halfway this this recent sentence and he's got a job he's working first it was out outside in the gardens now it's more in the greenhouse so he's he's doing just fine that's good that's i good. suppose you had a heartfelt moment uh at, at his trial whenever they came and uh, stopped the trial and then the two big bruisers with uh pinstripe suits got a hold of you too i guess and sylvia stoltz yeah i mean the truth doesn't matter if you're an attorney in germany the truth is not relevant in the trial no in fact the judge they the judge shuts you down in in the trial if you start talking about these things he says you know you're not allowed to talk about these things it's illegal to talk about these things in germany it doesn't matter that we're in a courtroom you can't talk about that yeah just so to let you know, we've got goes. another caller. We've got. I'm sorry to, to yes. put in. We've got another caller here, Joe. Okay. I'm just going to put you on mute. We got Brian Nelson's called in, and uh, and if Paul yep. wants to talk at some point, I, I, was there anything else you wanted to say, Joe? Oh, he's gone. He's gone again. Brian, welcome to the show. Hello. Can Can you hear me? Okay. You sound very loud. Too loud, frankly. Actually, okay. no. You sound great. Really good sound. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I wanted to ask Monica, uh, er, er, Ernst, her brother, was his, his wife was Ingrid, right? No, that's okay. So you're, you're getting some people mixed up here. Uh, I hear an echo too, but yeah, yeah, Ernst Sundel is not my, it's Alfred. Alfred Schaefer is my brother. Alfred Schaefer. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's okay. Actually, that would be a big honor if you call Ernst Sundel our, <laughs> our brother. That would be a huge honor. <laughs> Okay. Well, are you familiar with what she found, Ingrid Zundel? She was a historian. Yes. And she went to the Nuremberg trial uh, transcripts. She got in the archives for, for the German government. And she was looking through the Nuremberg trial transcripts. And she was researching Kristallnacht, okay? And what she discovered in the transcripts was that there was a Zionist organization out of Paris, France, called the LICA, L-I-C-A. And the night before Kristallnacht, she found in the transcripts all of these uh, messages going between Hitler and the Gauleiter Lay, I think it was, on the border between Germany and France. And they said, what's going on? There's all these people coming in. And they, they couldn't figure it out. So during Kristallnacht, who was destroying all the Jewish businesses, breaking the windows, and was this uh, Zionist organization out of uh, Paris, France. <laughs> so it, you can find it even today on Veterans Today. She's got, you know, there, if you just punch in Ingrid Zundel, you'll find that story, how she found that in the archives. So I thought you'd find that interesting. Yeah, thank you for that. I I do. I am aware that Kristallnacht was uh, sort of like what we would call a false flag event, wasn't it? And, yes. Um, falsely falsely described in our politically correct history books or the mainstream history books. They yeah. they do it every. They do it with everything. You know, they did it to the Iraqis, uh, the Iraqi Jews. 
they couldn't get enough people in, in uh, uh, Israel, so they started false flags in Iraq because the Iraqi Jews wouldn't move, move and then course it's the Jews doing it to the Jews and then blaming everybody else and they did it in uh, South America I think in Venezuela Uh, one that I found recently that really fascinated me and you won't find this anywhere you know I'm the one that does all the weird meditation and I told you they they showed me who Hitler was and I know you don't believe it but anyway was Al Capone you know, we're, we're told Al Capone is this terrible individual. Well, they false flagged him because he actually had the largest, really wonderful soup kitchen for the poor in Chicago. And he had a mentor program where he would mentor poor, poor kids and help them find their way. And he was doing really wonderful things. And it was the Jewish... Uh, uh, Bugs Moran and Meyer Lansky gang that did the false flag uh, attack on, for St. Valentine's Day massacre and it was actually Bugs Moran's own Jews that were massacred but it was Jews doing it to Jews to get, get their way. Another false flag. So I found that interesting. Well that's that's a very important narrative. Jews doing things to Jews and then calling out oh anti-semitism when they do it themselves because for them they need this thing called anti-semitism to carry out their agenda right so that's how they've yes. done it yeah yeah and then they take they take a good thing like national socialism under hitler and if you look at the early things that hitler was doing first thing he did when he came to power was hirschfeld's tranny clinic in Berlin where they were doing transvestite whatever the crap we get today they he burned it to the ground okay that was and everything he was doing if you look at Hitler's you know 25 point plan if we could enact that today all the problems for for Canada and the United States would disappear but they always work from within and then take everything good and turn it bad so yeah. they turned his his movement bad and today the Nazis are bad and and then they take anything that's bad and try and make it look good and that's why you get the Holocaust just, thing with I'm them. I'm just gonna say I don't know who you're referring to when you say today the Nazis are bad that's kind of a, a uh, it, it's uh, mis- the no the, like, the, the Ukrainian is- ones the Ukrainian oh, well. Nazis yeah they're bad okay they're not good but they've been you know they were infiltrated so because look at who's in charge of them Zelensky's Jewish and they're you know they massacre all these people they're, they're not good but that's just what they do you know it's to make Hitler look bad and uh yeah that uh, that would be the important part they, it's everything to make hitler look bad to reinforce the, that old narrative about the the bad bad germans and the, so when they started calling these people in the ukraine the nazis i was thoroughly confused but then i just realized no this is on purpose they're just confusing the narrative and yeah anyway well yeah. if you look at brian if you look you, at brian. the Brian, have you got a yeah. sort of speaker there or something? Because we're getting an echo back into the into the studio. Is it coming out of your desktop speakers or something? Because it's there's an echo running in the broadcast. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just I just have my headphones on and I I've turned off uh, 
Okay. You know, the, the actual broadcast. So I'm sorry. Well, okay. That's all right. No, it's, there's something coming in since you came on. I don't know quite where it is. Maybe your headphones are so loud they're going into the microphone. But yes, never mind. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Oh, and one other inter interesting thing, Monica. Are you familiar with Shabad Levanovich or whatever? Uh, the leader was Menachem Mendel Schneerson. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's probably one of the most vile creatures ever uh, walked the face of this earth. Yeah. Well, I was researching them, and Alan Alave, who's like taken over or whatever, he's one of their evil rabbis, he said one of the lifetimes of Christ was Adolf Hitler in one of his little speeches. And I found that interesting because that's the same thing that I got. And uh, so you can find it on Henry Macau, his speech where he talks about that. So anyway. I mean, coming back to this thing about the myth of German villainy, we're in the last um, 12 minutes here or so. And I think it might be good just to return back to that book, uh, Monica, for these last 10 minutes or so, and Benton Bradbury, um, because uh, it's worth, I guess the tack I'm on, really at the moment you know we've, we've covered it a little bit here is trying to find ways to introduce what is a very to most people understandably a very toxic topic in a way that they can begin to approach it and probably comprehend it and uh, although I mentioned it earlier in the show I'm repeating it again for listeners that may have just come in the myth of German villainy by Benton Bradbury fulfills a really good role in that regard and lays out the framework for why this perception of Germans being unremittingly evil is complete bunk and how it came about. Um, so I'm just doing another plug for the book. So if, if you want a copy of the book, and I would suggest get a couple, maybe give them out as Christmas presents, although they possibly wouldn't arrive in time, um, get over to moneytreepublishing.com and pick up a copy or two, because, uh, by the way, the new edition's fantastic. I got a copy the other day, and it looks wonderful. So it's uh, it's, it's top stuff. And it's a pity that, that uh, Mr. Bradbury's no longer alive. He shuffled off this model coil about four or five years ago, I think. But there were a couple of yeah. interviews with him, um, one done by Jim Rizzoli about 2016. I think there might have been another one on Red Ice Radio. Um, around about the same period and they're definitely worth hunting down and giving a listen to because he's a wonderful man and his book reflects these this his journey from effectively being an innocent inquirer into being fully informed about the sheer scale of the lie that's been and the war the psychological war that's been waged against the, the German people yeah you know when you want to bringing it back to the Germans and and the myth of German villainy a word that I don't know if we've said it during this 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 program, but the guilt, the guilt cult, which exists, and mm. by it's the German people are really at the center of it, but by extension, all the European peoples, all the white race in general, we have been foisted with this guilt, and so we we have a guilt cult. It really is like that, and one of the reasons why this has worked so successfully is because we do have this quality called empathy in general so of course there are always exceptions not everybody has empathy that belongs to the white race but it is a uh, a quality that many of us have is empathy and so if you have empathy and you also have a high trust which we have then that the other the flip side of that coin is is gullibility <laughs> like we we can be very gullible we believe things that are told to us and then you couple that with empathy 
And we can be made to feel guilty so easily. Yes. And then we want to make it right and make it better and help everybody else. And 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 we're shamed easily. We 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 blush. We are the race that blushes. And this is <laughs> you know this is something that's very important. Actually, we show our emotions right on our face. We we don't, can't hide we them do. very easily. Uh, we do. You're yeah. absolutely right. It's a it's a key thing, and I I think that extension of guilt. I had a I had a colleague. We were talking about the German education. By the way, Jack, we've seen you in the thing. We'll bring you in in a second. We've still got a few minutes left, so just hang in there, Jack. So we've got Jack's joined us as well. Um, I had a a, a good colleague. Uh, I haven't spoken to him for a couple of years. He's a little bit older than me. He was born, I think, about 1948. German. And um, he therefore received the full onslaught of the new revised and reconstructed German education system. And I've mentioned this before in broadcasts. I, I've had conversations with him which were, in essence, really rather funny, I suppose, from someone outside. I was arguing effectively that his his country, his nation, were effectively in the right and he was arguing that they weren't, which was really interesting. Oh, you know, it is. And, and he said, no, no. One of the lines I remember him saying, he said, no, no, we wanted to take over the world. And I said, <laughs> haven't you worked it out yet that we'd already done that? I said... <laughs> That's perfect. You know, answer. and we're and we're in the process of losing that as well to the Americans. You see, which uh, is true. I mean, uh, the whole process of the second engagement, World War Two, really should have been avoided wholly. I mean, you know, this seems like a, a mad idea, but there've been a whole series of books, even you know, by established politicians writing about this in retrospect. Of course, at the time, like we were saying before, the emotions get raised so high through propaganda and atrocity propaganda that we can't actually um, see through it. And so people go off on this entire sort of catastrophe of events, which which leads to the ruination of people. Anyway, let me bring Jack in now, uh, Monica, and see what Jack's got to say, although I've got a feeling he might have a massive echo, in which case, here we go. Here we go. Ah, Jack, you have ah, got Jack, a massive echo. you have echo. got a massive echo. In fact, it's me coming at Jack, we can't take your call at the moment. You need to sort out your microphone and your speakers, otherwise we're all going to go crazy, I'm afraid. So um, you have to look at the settings on there. Let me bring Paul in. I've got Paul Beaner here. <laughs> Paul, hi, welcome hey, to the I've show. A, Your audio is lovely, isn't clip. it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that was that was my fault. I don't, well, actually it was the the software that you use to connect it always defaults to something on my computer that has absolutely no connection. I don't know why. Okay. But I fixed it. So it's, all right. it's cool. all good. Hey, I've got a great clip. Uh former Israeli minister Shulami Aloni. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Um she she explains it very 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 quickly. It's a minute twenty five. Do we have a second? Is it the one with um, from that? Um, I know who it is. The public radio. She says thing. it's democracy a trick. now. Democracy now. And, and, yeah, anti semitism. It, it, Throw it in. Labeling Paul. people without it's a trick. Play it. It'll come out great. Yeah, run it. Um, often when there is dissent expressed in the United States against policies of the Israeli government. Um, uh, people here are called anti-Semitic. Uh, what is your response to that as an Israeli Jew? Well, it's a trick. We always use it. When from Europe somebody is criticizing Israel, then we bring up the Holocaust. When in this country people are criticizing Israel, then they are anti-Semitic. And the organization is strong and has a lot of money. And the 
the ties between uh, Israel and the American Jewish establishment are very strong, and they are strong in this country. As you know, uh, they have power, which it's okay. They are talented people, and they have power, money, and uh, media, and other things. And their attitude is Israel, my country, right or wrong, the identification. And they are not ready to hear criticism. And it's very easy to blame people who criticize certain acts of the Israeli government as anti-Semitics and to bring up the Holocaust and the suffering of the Jewish people. And that's, that justifies everything we do to the Palestinians. Wow. Yeah, that's quite that a classic. It all, right? How old is that now? The, Eight years and more, longer than that, isn't it? It's oh, yeah. Quite, it's going around for quite it's a very long. I, it's I amazing. Played. It's amazing. She says, she basically summarizes their their modus operandi in that minute and a half. It's it's really good. It's perfect. I've I've listened to it many times, and I still listen to it again and again, and I think everybody should listen Again and again, thanks for bringing that in, Paul, because she does summarize their modus operandi very well. Yes, she does. Well, I'm, I'm glad I was able to add something to the program. Well, that's it, Paul. You've, <laughs> solved all, you've solved all the problems there. That's the problem solved, isn't it? <laughs> I'm, yeah, glad, I'm glad you brought it. I've, got so, I've got so many things like that, but I, did, I, I didn't line any of them up really for today cause, well, because I didn't, but I'm glad you brought that in, particularly at this time in the show, because I think it is an appropriate sort of note on which to... Well, we're closing out. We've got a, a few minutes left. We've got about three or four minutes left. Um, and it's been, it's been great having you on, Monica, today. I've really enjoyed it. I hope you will return at some point in the future because I think um, there's... We've we've really only scratched the surface. There's so many other historical details that we could go into about this perception. But I think that this control of the communication space, it doesn't apply just to the German people. It applies in so many other areas. And I think that's why it's important. And going back to that point you were mentioning before, why so much energy spent on trying to... Uh, limit this and keep it down is because I think the floodgates would open to a great degree and uh, that would make it, you know, not so pleasing for them. Something like that. Yeah, I would love to come back because like you say, we really did only scratch the surface. We just, just tickled it. We scratched it just a wee tiny bit. And there is so much more to discuss and go into depth because we didn't really go into any kind of detail about, you know, why do we question the official story like any of the physical evidence all those things we didn't touch that and but and there's also so much more to talk about this this guilt cult you know and mm -hmm. and also the holocaust being uh it's not just that it's part of the house of cards it is the linchpin that holds that house of cards up it you know jewish power is really kind of predicated on that narrative and I, so I think that that one, when it falls, and it is falling fast, it's falling apart at the, at the seams, that is very threatening to their power, isn't it? I and think I it is. Music. 
I think it is. Yeah, we're okay. We still got a minute to go. It runs quite a while. This music, you know. Oh, so good. So we it's can okay. Talk we can over talk that. over it. Yeah, yeah. We can talk over it a bit. <laughs> but it's just to let me know that the certain buttons and the whole thing is going to come crashing to a grinding halt. Yeah, so that good. it's not mid mid sentence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're right. That there are so many things to touch upon. I think my my simple thing is this: Am I allowed to question things? That's all we want to do. And if you actually end up in a space where you can honorably and decently communicate, and that's a big ask, is that? That really is a massive mm -hmm. ask. But that's mm -hmm. what's required, and that's what's denied us. The, the, you know, what's happened with your brother, the sort of the abuse of the court system where even lawyers are locked up for arguing, t for presenting a case too effectively, too vigorously. What yeah. are you supposed to do with something like that? Absolutely ridiculous, it, preposterous exactly. sort of stuff. It really that, is. That's the part of the story we really need to emphasize for people to just be, just look at you. If you can question something or you cannot question something and then you cannot even defend yourself in court, then maybe there's something wrong with the story, right? <laughs> that's all. It that's is. All. <laughs> look, see, the music's gone and we still got 15 seconds. You're absolutely right. So I'd like to thank everybody well, for who rocked up tonight. Monica, it's been brilliant having you on. If you want to have the last word, you got five seconds. Off you go. Just. <laughs> Truth and justice for Germans.com. That's a website that got me into That's it. Some You're out of time. Trouble. It's gone.